This morning's, this morning's passage of Scripture is found in the Gospel of John. I'll be reading from the first chapter, uh, verses 1 through 18. Uh, the same passage that Dr. McLean uh, read last night in that wonderful kilt, for any of you who are here. A word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the Lord was given through, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome. Merry Christmas to you and to your family. Adrian, I bet you Doc McLean can loan you that kilt. (laughs) May not look the same, though. This morning we are beginning a new study in the gospel according to John. John was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He has a brother named James and together they were called uh, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder. They, um, along with the other uh, 10 disciples, followed Jesus around for uh, three years. John is the one When Jesus was on the cross, uh, said, uh, take care of my mother, uh, Mary. And so he had that stewardship uh, until we believe, until Mary's uh, death. John, later in life, becomes uh, what we would call today uh, an area leader or a bishop of seven uh, Asia Minor churches, places like Ephesus and uh, that surrounding area. In fact, he writes a whole book, or we would call a series of letters to those seven churches in our Bibles. It's called the Revelation. He's also responsible for three other letters uh, to churches that bear his name, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which precede uh, the Revelation. And then this one, which makes John one of the most prolific writers of uh, the New Testament. You might be asking, why do you start a series on Christmas? Christmas, uh, typically the question that is centered uh, around most messages uh, today will be, who really came 
uh, 2,000 years ago, and the Gospel of John answers that question, and specifically the first 18 verses, which is often referred to as the prologue of the Gospel according uh, to John. John, one of the better writers, lets us know what he is what he's intending to give us, what he's intending for our response to be, but he waits like a good writer to almost the very end to tell us. If you have your uh, Bibles open, you can open the one on the pew or, or just listen to me read these two verses to you from the 20th chapter, which is way at the end of that uh, uh, gospel. He gives us the reason and what his hope is for those who hear this. In verse 30 of chapter 20, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the ones that you will find here, there are seven of them. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. One of the very things that we have to admit up front, that the gospel according to John is not a history book. It has history in it, but it is not written as a history, nor is it a biography of Jesus' life. There are huge gaps in his life and his teaching that is very different than the other gospels even. This is one of the later ones. Most scholars believe three or four decades after Jesus' death does John sit down and pen this as the last of the writing of the gospels. It's a polemic. We don't use that word. It's an argument. John is making an argument about who came 2,000 years ago in such a way that he hopes that the reader or the listener will believe. I just read that to you out of that passage. But believe not in a what, but in a who. That is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. That is an historical person who came 2,000 years ago. And there's no doubt either by secular historians or religious historians that Jesus walked on this earth. The only question is, who is he? Who was he? And John is making the claim that he is the long-awaited Messiah that all Jews wanted and longed for. But not just a mere man but the Son of God. And he says, if you believe that, here's the promise that's found in that, you will have life. And understand that John rarely uses... There, in English, we only have one word for life. Life. And it has to have many meanings to it. The Greeks were not that way. The Greeks actually had two words for life. One, bios, which we get the word biology from, which means physical life. That's not the word that uh, John most uses. He does not the word he uses here in John chapter 1, nor was it the one he used in John chapter 20. He's using Zoe. This idea of not physical life, not and don't run to spiritual life. He's not talking about that either. He's talking about that, the kind or the quality of life that is defines that kind of living. That is, is that what he's promising, those who believe will have a different kind of life or a different quality about their life for that believing. That's what's being promised here. 
as we now turn to the very first chapter, the prologue, the beginning. And and our text begins with a beginning. It says, in the beginning was the word. The word word here has a loaded meaning to it because it's in the Greek language because Greek philosophers had taken a particular word, logos, and attached a specific uh, definition to that word. That it simply meant for them some transcendent truth that pervaded the entire universe by which all other truths... You see, the Bible's not claiming that God has given all truth. He's claiming that there is a truth, John is, that pervades all truth, that makes meaning out of and context for all other truths. And this transcendent logos is translated for us the word. And you see it repeated over and over again. And John's argument is simply this in these 18 verses, is that there was such a logos that Greeks believed in. He's agreeing there is a logos. And that that logos is not an inanimate truth, but a person, a being. And then he claims that that logos once walked among us. That would have been out of context for a Greek philosopher. To say that truth is a person is one step, but it's a whole nother thing to say that he walked among us. I want to invite you over the coming weeks of 2017 to keep coming back. Sunday after Sunday to examine and see for yourself if what John is going to claim and ultimately what Jesus is going to claim about himself is true. C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And toward the end of one of those beautiful books, he has a conversation between uh, Lucy and Aslan, the uh, Christ figure in the uh, Narnia tales. And Lucy has been away from Narnia for a while and she has not seen Aslan in a while. And so when she sees him for the first time in this long while, she, she hears him say, welcome child. And then she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he says, this is because you are older. And she says, it's not because you're bigger. And he says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I promise if you encounter the real Jesus, not the one that often is taught in Sunday schools across the world, not the one that that the culture has delivered us, not the one that even of our own imagination will come close to the real one of the scriptures, that we will find him bigger. Not because he is bigger, but because we grew, because we changed. And so I ask you to come and see, not just you, but your friends. Let 2017 be the year where you see the big Jesus, the one of the scriptures. John is going to make 
three statements about this Jesus here that I want us to study. We're not going to look at the middle part, which has to do with John. Uh, That'll be next week. I just want you to get an idea of who John is claiming Jesus to be 2,000 years ago and today. The very first thing is that he's claiming that this word, this logos, this person, this being is transcendent. That is, he's not from here. He's from outside. And he makes three claims about this transcendent being in verse 1. Notice, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you can go on in verse 2, and he says, he restates it, he was in the beginning with God. And he makes three claims there, and, and, and just bear with me, it's a little uh, spade work in order to understand what he's claiming here. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the tense in which is being shared. In the beginning was the word. In English, we have three tenses. In Greek, they have six. And because of that, sometimes we translators have to choose what is the closest tense in English to the Greek uh, uh, tense that has been given here. And it's the perfect tense. And the perfect tense sounds like the past tense, but it means that it always was. So the way that this ought to be translated is in the beginning, the word always was. That would be a more accurate translation for us because he's claiming something. He's saying that there was something prior to all that it is. That's what he's making. He's trying to say for us is that Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was God who created the heavens and the earth that there was something that predated the creation. There was something predating all that is, that is physical. Scientists understand this because they talk about boundary events. These are, are things that happen before which we cannot know because we can't study. We can only study from forward from that boundary event to us present. But what goes on before that, we don't know because no one has ever been there. And therefore, it can't be studied. An example of that would be the Big Bang as a boundary event. We can study things that have moved toward us from that moment, but nothing before that moment. See, you you see, there are questions that go on before before boundary events. They can't be answered by science or empirical. And that is questions of why? Why did it happen? For what purpose did it happen? And what happened before the before? That's beyond our ability to know through empirical study. Because it's before the boundary event. John is claiming here that the word, whatever the word's going to be become, came from beyond the boundary events. But he's not just saying that the word is eternal. He's saying that it's also personal. Because it goes on in verse 1, not only in the beginning, the word always was, but the word was always with God. 
And that word with literally can be translated toward or face to face. And therefore it implies or it's speaking of a relationship between the two. The word and God himself. And so what he's he's saying is, is that he's talking about a person. Because things don't have relationships. Beings do. The extent to which people are willing amazingly to try to get a word from beyond the boundary events. How many people go and see a psychic who can read life before or seances or, or, or Ouija boards. All to try to get an information from beyond the boundary events. And here 2,000 years ago, a person came from beyond the boundary That's what John is claiming, that a person from beyond that boundary event, Jesus Christ, is not just a truth, but is a person who has come into this world. The third claim he makes is not only is eternal and personal, but also divine. You see that in the rest. In the beginning, the word always was, and the word always was with God. Now it says, and the word always was God. I think that's important, not just to know that a person came in history, but God came in history. The way the ancients used to refer to this is they called it very God of very God. When they began to try to translate John 1, they would say Jesus was very God of very God. That is that this person that came from beyond the barrier, beyond the boundary event, was not just a mere man, but a divine himself. And that he did not stop being God just because he came here. The one who walked among us 2,000 years ago, according to John, he's claiming was always God, even while he was here. John is claiming that this Jesus is God himself. The second thing that John is going to make after we leave these opening two verses, he's now going to turn our attention in verse 3 that this word is creative. That all things that were made were made by him. You see that in verse 3. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And again, John makes three more claims about the word. He, he says first that this Jesus is the creator. I want you to notice what he's not saying before I tell you what he is saying. What he is not claiming here, it is obviously claimed in other places, but John is not making that claim. He's not telling us how he created. He is not telling us either when he created. He is also not telling us how he created. He's just simply making the statement that he did. Because his point is that this Jesus who was in the beginning, that is always was, is the one who's the author of everything. It's about authorship, not process. He's claiming that he's the source. And I think that's important because he's going to make two more claims based on that foundation. And and in verse 4, he says he's the source of life. And in verse 5, he's going to say he's the source of knowledge. That is, he's not claiming that he 
created life here. That can be in other places you can make that argument, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying that he's the source of life. In him was life. In him already was life. You see, he's using the word Zoe again, not bios. So he's not claiming here that he's the creator of physical life. He's claiming something far more important than simply you exist because Jesus made you exist. He's claiming something else, something far more important to us. And that is that all living beings already are connected to Jesus because he's your source. We don't get connected to God. We already are connected to God. It doesn't mean that some tried to deny that connection. Paul will call that a suppression of truth. There are others that are not, that don't try to uh, deny it. They just simply try to get disconnected. But the only reason you can deny your connection, the only way you can try to disconnect, and I don't think that's, imp- it's, I don't think that's possible, is if you already are connected. Because he is the source of life. John is claiming that this Jesus that came from beyond the boundary event, who walked among us, is the source of the quality of life in which you have. The meaning and purpose of your existence finds its meaning and purpose in him. The third thing that he claims here is not only that Jesus is the source of life, but also the source of knowledge. You see that in verse 5 when he says that in him was life, that's that Zoe, and this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's using two metaphors here of of having knowledge and not having a certain kind of knowledge. And if you have this kind of knowledge, it's like a light. It's an understanding. It's a way to see the world. It's a way to understand your purpose for existence. And when you don't have that, you don't understand your purpose, your connection to God, because he's the source. And he uses that as a darkness. What he's claiming is that there's a knowledge and a truth from beyond the boundary event. That when Jesus came, he came with a knowledge, an understanding that there's no way on earth, literally, that you could know if he did not come. He's not saying we can't know things. I think that's an overstatement. Even important things. But we can't know certain things, certain truths, without a revelation from beyond the boundary event. For what purpose do we exist? Where is it all going? Why is the world like it is? How did it get this way? What can be done? Will it ever get better? Those are questions that only find answers from the one who has come from beyond the boundary event. Because on this side, on our own, we cannot know. That's what he's claiming. He's not claiming you can't know great things great discoveries about our world and about ourselves. He's just claiming you can't answer certain questions without a revelation, 
without something coming from beyond the boundary event to us from God. Third thing that John wants us to understand about this Logos is that it's incarnate. It's just not out there. It came here. The Word became flesh in verse 14 and dwelt among us. This knowledge, this truth, this Logos came from beyond the boundary event. It's eternal. It's a personal divine being came into the world from the outside. He walked among us. And verse 14 says, he didn't just walk among us. He walked among us in grace, full of grace and full of truth. One of the things that whenever you've watched a good alien movie, what do the earthlings want to know? Are they a threat? We want to know, are they good aliens or bad aliens? Jesus coming into the world, is he a threat? Or has he come to help? Has he come to rescue? Has he come to do something good? The answer to that question is he comes full of grace and truth. And in fact, we know in verse 16, it's grace upon grace that he comes with. So it, no matter what you have done, no matter how far you have been away from the connection to God in your being, understanding the reason for your existence, your Zoe, he has grace for you. You can't be too far. He beckons you to come and see and understand for what you were created. But not only is he full of grace, he's also full of truth. Verse 17 tells us that the law came from Moses, but this grace and truth comes from Jesus. That is the linchpin of history. You know what a linchpin is? It's something by which everything swings. Everything is connected. Everything is made sense of. Human history makes absolutely no sense without Jesus as the divine personal being who has come and dwelt among us in order to rescue us. In fact, C.S. Lewis will make this argument. He's left you no option. All John is doing here in the prologue is laying out the teaching of Jesus that will follow. Jesus is making these claims, not John. John is just summarizing them in a way that we can have them presented to us. We'll see that as we move through John. But it's important for you to understand that Jesus in his teaching is only going to leave you three options about his teaching. That is, he's either telling the truth or he's not telling the truth. And if he's not telling the truth, he's not telling the truth either because he's a liar. That is, it's an intentional, bold-faced untruth. Or he's crazy. He's a lunatic. And no one should follow a lunatic because he's got a God complex. He says, the Father and I are one. In the beginning, I was. If he wasn't, he's crazy. Which only leaves one option if he's telling the truth. That he is the Lord God who's come to rescue us from sin and from this broken world. What difference does it make? It makes this difference. 
If he is not who he says he is, it is the grounds for which to reject him. If Jesus is not who he said he was, then you have grounds to reject him. And this is a waste of your time. But if he is who he claims to be, you must deal with him. You must deal with those claims to ignore them, to ignore what he said about himself. You will one day stand before him face to face. And you will either hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, welcome into your rest, or depart from me, for I never knew you, if what he claimed is true about himself. Don't you owe it to yourself to find out if what he said is true? I'm not naive to think that one message settles the issue for anyone. I'm just asking you to come back and keep listening. To think and decide for yourself if what he claimed is true. I just want you to try it on. Like you go to you go to a store and, and you're buying not a suit off the rack, but one that was fitted for you to see if it fits. And everyone else in the room who already has decided we're just the store clerks we're just here to answer your questions to tell you the benefits to tell you the truth if you'll just try it on so that's all i'm asking you but i do let you know there's a promise here do you see it in verse 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god It's not a task without a reward. It's not a journey without an end. It's not a hope without a realization. If you begin this journey to come and see, to evaluate for yourself, try it on for yourself, to see if his claims are true, then I promise you that if you believe, you will be called a child of God. And you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, welcome into your rest. My hope is that Jesus becomes bigger for all of us. Not because he got bigger, but simply because we saw him for who he really is. Today is Christmas 2016. I'm just asking you to begin the search. It doesn't matter whether you've been in the church for 30 years or this is your first time attending. A church. The search is worth the journey. There are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people in this room who can tell you that, who can testify to that reality. I promise he won't be the one you expect, even if you've been here for 30 years. And I promise the real Jesus won't disappoint you. Just come and see. And come and see for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy, full of grace and truth. And we need both. We need to know 
who came 2,000 years ago and what difference does it make? Many of us are, are holding on to false images, things that we have heard that Jesus claimed about himself, the way it was explained, that just simply isn't true. Others have a blank slate. They have no idea. To even hear that we're already connected to God because he's the source of all life is a challenge. And it's new information that has to be processed. Father, I pray that this will be a place for them to come and see, to think, to question, to bring their doubts, to find answers, but mostly to meet you. I pray that you open our eyes and our hearts to see and that we keep coming until we believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.